passage for us this morning. Today I'm going to read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 11 through 15, and then verse 20. And Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people. What we are is plain to God, and I hope that it is also plain to your consciences. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to be proud of us, so that you may have a reply for those who take pride in outward appearance rather than in the heart. For we are our for we are out of our mind if God, it, it is for God, we are in our right mind. For the love of Christ compels us. Since we have reached this conclusion, if one died for all, then all died. And if he died for all, so that the hope of those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. Let me pray for us. God, as we just gather here in this moment, in our bodies, and our minds, you love us. You invite us into a relationship with you. You are drawing near to us. May we draw near to you. As we consider Tony's words this morning, may you speak directly to us. May we hear your words. God, may we consider also what role we play in living out our faith where we live, work, and play. Thank you for the opportunity to know and learn of your love. May we actually receive your love, embrace it, and let that love consume and compel us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Of the first people, to, people that I met when I came to the area to interview, and we have some similar friendships around the country, and uh, they're just really good people. And I know you know that, but you need to know that other people think that too. All right, <laughs> all right. But it, it is good to be with you. And as as Kyle mentioned, I'm the new executive director for the CEA, and the CEA is one of the organizations that help generations get off the ground. Uh, a little under four years ago, and that's what we do as an organization. We help new churches get started, and we build partnerships to allow that to happen, okay? And, I, and I'm kind of new to the Northwest, right? I just moved here a little over, um, a little over seven months ago now when I became the executive director, uh, but I moved here from Pennsylvania, so I'm very new to the region. There's a little bit of a distance from Pennsylvania to get here, all right? <laughs> And for the last uh, 25 years or so, I've been uh, starting new churches and leading churches uh, in the uh, northeast part of the United States, in New England and Pennsylvania. And uh, for the last five years, 
I was uh, working with another church planning organization, an organization that starts new churches in the Northeast, uh, for about five or six years, kind of overseeing the church planning work in that region. And so I'm really excited to be here. And while I'm new to the Pacific Northwest, I'm not new to starting new churches, and I'm not new to working with uh, groups like this and working with churches. Uh, the CEA, the Christian Evangelistic Association, is also not new. It's been around for a while. It's, uh, the CEA is 62 years old, and it started back in 1961. You can probably tell by the name of the organization, Christian Evangelistic Association. We're in works to try to change that, update it a little bit. But in 1961, a group of people got together in the Seattle area right around the time the Space Needle was being erected, uh, getting uh, prepared for the World's Fair. And these, this group of people came together to start an organization, a partnership to help new churches get established in the Pacific Northwest, new churches that are pat patterned after the New Testament. Yeah. And the CEA was born. And over the last 62 years, 63 congregations have been established in the Pacific Northwest, including generations, yeah. just under four years ago. That's, a, that's awesome. Yeah. And in the next 13 months, the CEA is uh, going to see four additional churches hold their first Sunday services. We're pretty excited about that as well. Yeah, that's good stuff. In fact, next Sunday, September the 10th, uh, a new church is starting in the heart of Portland called Counter Culture Church, and they get launched next uh, Sunday on the West End part of town. And uh, Jesse and Becca Lusco are establishing that new church. And uh, the Luscos have been really um, uh, passionate about the Portland area for a little over a decade and have been preparing to launch Counterculture for just about two years now, uh, trying to get things moving and get things up and running. And so if you know anybody uh, that lives in the West End part of Portland and would like to point them to a new church, I would love for you to take down that information. Next Sunday at the West End Theater is where they're kicking off, and uh, we'd love for you to pass that along, all right? I'd also love it if you would be praying for this new church. As you guys know, it takes a lot to get things off the ground, and, and there are all sorts of things that can 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 happen, but what I especially want you to be praying about is for people to be invited and for people to show up and know that they're welcomed, because that's why we do what we do, right? And here's a little bit of a highlight of the other three churches that are launching in the next 13 months. Um, there they are. Um, the Rexiuses will be starting a new church in Eugene, Oregon. Uh, in fact, they've already gotten started, uh, starting a campus ministry at the University of Oregon. Um, and they, started, they start that officially on the 28th of September, and that's going to be uh, getting off the ground soon. And then they're starting the new church in the uh, first of the year. So in January of 24, the new church will start having their regular services. Then we have another church. The Romeros are starting a church in Caldwell, Idaho, which is a suburb of Boise. And they're, they're just kind of in the beginning stages of getting things rolling, uh, aiming towards a fall launch next fall. And then just down the road in Camas, uh, there's another couple. Uh, the Murs are going to be starting a new church in that area. And the Murs had a little bit of a connection here. I know they came and did a little bit of a short-term residency uh, with uh, Kyle and kind of learned the ropes a little bit. And they're finally at a place now where they're going to move forward to start another new church. So that's what's going on. A lot of things that are going on in the next 13 months, and we're pretty excited about those. But, you know, I've been doing this a while, and I know that there are probably some of you sitting there like, do we really need to start more churches? 
Because, like, aren't there enough of them already? They're everywhere, right? I know how it goes. It's a legitimate thought. I understand. And so what I'd like to do over the next uh, few minutes is share with you what I believe is why we need to be diligent in starting new churches, particularly in the United States and in this region of the country. Okay, so I'm going to kind of walk through some different data, and I might ask you, are you with me every once in a while to make sure that you actually are, okay? And so here's a few of the reasons why we should be starting new churches, and let's start just with basic math, population increase, okay? The population in the United States, if you haven't noticed, is continuing to grow at a fairly rapid pace. In fact, in the last couple of decades, it has just gone upward. We'll get to that in a little bit. Anyone have any idea what the current U.S. population is? Anybody? Almost. 334 million last I checked, unless there was a big baby boom that I wasn't aware of here recently. But yeah, really, a lot of people, right? 334 million people. So take a look at this next graphic here. This is the projections of uh, the next several years of the population that uh, increase that's going to occur in the United States, 334 million right now in 2023, projected to increase to 416 million by 2060. And uh, if you go back to 2020, that's almost 100 million people increase in just a 70-year period of time. That's a lot of people um, uh, added to the United States, both being born and immigrating to the United States. It's a lot of people. And as the population grows, new churches need to, um, need to be opened to accommodate the growth around me. All right? So are you with me on that? Okay. There's also been a pretty dramatic cultural shift in the United States, if you haven't noticed that, with each generation over the last 70 years or so. And so this graphic, you're probably familiar with the different breakdowns of generations. So I just thought I'd ask you, your generations church, I just needed to know, how many of you are, 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 are born uh, in the silent generation era? Any of you guys here born before 1948, 1945? Anybody? Okay, no, no. Online maybe? I don't know. Boomers. How many boomers in the room? Got some boomers. Hey, boomer. All right. Got some boomers. <laughs> Millennials, any millennials in the room? Got some millennials in the room? Gen Z, what? what? Yeah, I did that on purpose to point out that we're the forgotten generation. <laughs> Nobody pays attention to Gen X, ever, ever. It's, it's boomer to millennial, bam. Gen X, we get forgotten all the time. And we're not bitter about it at all. No, not at all. All right, Gen X, Gen X in the room apparently. Yeah, right. Bringing it up, too. Hey, Gen X, you forgot. Yeah, I got it. That's good. All right. And then Gen Z. Any Gen Zers in the room are right now going, I'm so embarrassed about all these people. Right? Yeah, some of you guys in the room, too. All right. So we've got all kinds of different people represented here, right? But I want you to take a look at this shift that's occurred in religious identification over the last 70 years. So if you start on the right there, the silent generation, the top gray box represents um, uh, the Christian worldview. So uh, for people born before, uh, yeah, people born uh, before 1945, 77% identified as Christian in the United States. And if you come all the way down to Gen Z, that number is 57%. So it's declined, right? But look at this next graphic here. The fastest growing religious group in America is that circle right there. And that would be unaffiliated, 
in some capacity, unaffiliated with any particular religion. Okay? And that could be made up of uh, atheists, agnostics, and just people that we will just call nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Those are people that aren't atheists. They believe that there's probably a God, but they just are not affiliated with anything. They just don't really know. They've never really been introduced. They don't really have any reason to be connected, all right? It's the fastest growing percentage of the population. And you can see that that, that just keeps happening, okay, as the generations move forward. Now, this is how that breaks down across the United States, okay? 36% of the United States is represented by this population unaffiliated, okay, 36%. There are two really dark, you can't see the numbers, it's kind of small, two dark portions of the country, the Northeast and the Northwest there. Those are the highest percentage of people who fall into this category. It's like 50%. Almost 50% of the population of all these states, five U.S. states, are unaffiliated. Those states are Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont, New England, where I used to work and the Pacific Northwest, the great state of Washington, and Oregon. And that's not a surprise to you, is it? Religiously unaffiliated, made up of atheist agnostics and people who are just not connected with any particular religion, okay? But I want to point out another uh, interesting stat. Look at this next slide. Atheists and agnostics have remained roughly the same 5%, roughly, for more than 100 years in the United States. Almost across the globe, this is true, when you average everybody out, it's roughly 5% of the population. The atheist worldview doesn't, isn't growing. It's pretty much staying the same. The group that's growing are the nuns, the people unaffiliated. Yeah, I think there's probably a God, but mm, I don't really want to, I don't want to have anything to do with it. And there's a lot of reasons they say that, by the way. But this, this graphic right here actually gives me some hope because they're not saying they don't think God exists. They're just not really interested in the way maybe churches are sharing that information or they've never really understood what it means or how to pursue God in any way. Okay? But as a result of this shift, churches are closing at an alarming rate. And it's kind of created a, a bit of a storm. So look at these statistics. In 2019, 4,500 churches closed permanently across the United States. And that's across all denominations, all types of churches. Pre-pandemic, that number was anticipated to grow to at least 5,500 church closures per year over the next 30 years. That's a lot of churches closing. Pre-pandemic, it was anticipated that 176,000 churches would close between 2019 and 2050. It's a lot of churches. And just so you know, we're not starting churches as rapidly as they're closing. So you can see why there's a need to start new churches. But since the pandemic, I want you to see this next graphic. One in five churches closed their doors permanently during the COVID pandemic across the United States. That's a lot of churches closing their doors, right? Now, all of these different things created a bit of a perfect storm. You got population increase, more and more people. You've got generational shifts, fewer people with a Christian worldview. And then lastly, church closures. And it can seem pretty bleak. Oh my gosh, what's going on? What's happening? What you need to know is this is not true across the globe. 
What you need to know is the church is growing incredibly fast in places like Asia and Africa and South America. Churches all over the place opening new churches, people coming to Christ like crazy. And even in the United States, there are more Christians today than there were 50 years ago. So it's not like we're losing people, but as the population increases, we're not keeping up with it. Okay? So it's created a bit of a perfect storm, though, and it can look bleak. But I want you to know I can kind of look at this, and I see it as opportunity. It's opportunity for us to connect with people who aren't connected and to present to them in a way that they've never had it presented. Okay? And we think it's imperative to be starting new churches because as, follower of Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we know that not even the gates of hell will prevail against Christ's church. Jesus said that. Right? Jesus said that. And again, it's the, the case around the world. But even here in the United States, we know that the church is still God's plan for reaching and discipling the world for Christ. And that is why we need to be diligent in starting new expressions of the church all around the country. Because there's no more effective way to reach people who are disconnected from God than in a new church. This stat is interesting. A lot of people don't know this, but this stat is interesting. On average, 42% of a new church congregation, that's a church that's under 10 years old, like this church, a church that is under 10 years old, 42% of that body were not going to church before that new church got started. In some way, shape, or form. Maybe it hadn't been going to church for a while, or maybe it just hadn't ever before. Something like that has taken place. That compared to a church that's been more established over a period of time, people who are unaffiliated feel more comfortable and more welcome in newer churches. And there's lots of reasons for that. And that's why you're probably here. You get that too. You get that too. Tim Keller, a great Christian writer, a pastor who just passed away here recently. This is what Tim Keller writes about uh, church planting. He says, the vigorous continual planting of new congregations is the single most crucial strategy, both one, for the numerical growth of the body of Christ in a city, and two, the continual corporate renewal and revival of the existing churches in a city. Nothing else, not crusades or outreach programs or parachurch ministries or growing megachurches or congregational consulting nor church renewal processes will have the consistent impact of dynamic, extensive church planting. And that's why I do what I do, because I believe that to be true. And it's why Kyle and John are here and why they're doing what they're doing, because they believe that to be true. And I suspect you're here because you have learned that that is true as well, right? Now, all that I have shared so far is why this church was started under four years ago. It is why this church has already partnered to start two other new churches since you were born. And that's pretty remarkable. That's pretty amazing. Okay? And the reason why that's so amazing is that, sadly, the church in America is simply not reproducing. Only 93%. That's a lot. 93% of churches in the U.S. have never helped to start another church. Never tried to birth one. That doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out, we're not doing something right. Right? Now, this stat is really a macro view of a greater problem. It's the failure of most followers of Jesus to ever lead another person to Jesus. 
Because while churches are not multiplying in America, followers of Jesus are not multiplying ourselves either. And there's probably a correlation, you think? We are simply not sharing our faith with other people and inviting them onto this journey of faith with us. We're not, as followers of Jesus, making disciples. And so with that, let me transition this morning from talking about this idea of starting new churches to something that's probably a little more tangible for you, a little more practical application for you directly, and that's making disciples. Kyle said he likes to ask questions or he likes questions. I'm going to ask you a lot of questions this morning. Here's my first one. Who are you investing your life in? Who are you investing your life in? Who are you inviting into the life that God is creating inside of you? Now, if you have a Bible this morning or if you have a smartphone with an app on it, we're going to actually take a look at Matthew chapter eight, uh, 28 this morning. If you want to kind of look that up, you can. We'll put it on the screen here in a second, too. But while you're looking for that, uh, let me share with you this story. Years ago, there was a problem with the bus service in London, England. Okay? So uh, the bus service would drive past the bus stop, designated bus stops where people were gathered without stopping. They would just drive past. And obviously, the people at these particular stops were starting to get a little irritated. And so they got frustrated, and they started complaining to the transit authority. And then the transit authority decided to put out a press release explaining why they weren't stopping to pick up these passengers at these bus stops. And it's kind of been infamous in public relations circles. This is the letter they sent out to explain why they weren't picking up passengers. Here's what they wrote. It is impossible for us to maintain our schedule if we are constantly having to stop and pick up passengers. <laughs> You're the bus, right? What is that about, right? Someone forgot why they existed as an organization. The transit authority lost sight of their mission. And as followers of Jesus, we've been given a pretty clear mission by Jesus himself. A command about the one thing he wants us to stay focused on. The one thing that Jesus didn't want us to forget. And it's the last thing he said to his followers before he left this planet. Before he left earth. He said this in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You've heard this before if you've been around churches. It's the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, Jesus said. Therefore, and he's about to give this job description, this mission statement. I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so before Jesus leaves, I don't know if you've ever been uh, around someone who's passing away. They usually don't mince words, right? They're going to share with you what's most important. They're not going to be like, hey, how's the weather? You know, they're not. They're going to say, this is what you need to be doing. Don't forget this. That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, don't forget this. He gathers his disciples together. He says, here's what I want you to do. Single primary focus, I want you to go and make disciples. And so this morning as we continue in your values series that Kyle kind of set up for us this morning, God's family, this is the next value we're going to look at. Send overstay. Send overstay. It's a command that comes directly from Jesus in this passage in many ways. It's not just what you do in here. It's what God wants you to be doing out there 
right? To go and make disciples. And the tool that God has given us to make disciples is pretty simple. It's love. It's the only motivator. The world will be drawn to you and the life that God is creating in you by your love for the Father and your love for one another. Jesus said that too. Everywhere that Jesus went, he stuck out one of these, right? A welcome mat. Everywhere he went, he stuck out a welcome mat because he wanted the people that he came into contact with, everyone he met, he wanted them to know that they were welcome in his presence. He wanted them to know that they were welcome to become a part of the family of God. They were welcome. Everywhere he went. He was passionate about that. He made a big deal about that. He wanted everyone to know that they could be a part of God's family, every single one. Now, something you need to understand, and I've become somewhat um, passionate about this myself, but you never saw Jesus picketing anybody, okay? He didn't agree with everybody, but he didn't picket anybody, and I think that's important to know. He didn't boycott anyone. And the reason for that, he was far too busy spending time with people that the religious people never would. People with messy lives. People with questions and doubts. Even people with questionable character. This is how, this is how the people in Jesus' day, the religious people, would, would describe the people Jesus was hanging out with. People of questionable character, right? This is who Jesus spent time with. Jesus wanted everyone to know that there was a place for them in God's family. And so Jesus sat on an invitation. And on this invitation, Jesus stamped an image. And the image has stayed with us for a long period of time. 2,000 years ago. It's a picture that says, you are loved. It's a picture that says, from God, this is what I'm willing to go through for you. It's a picture that says, friendship is possible with God. It's a picture that communicates that nothing could ever change the love the Father has for you. But sadly, Christians and churches over the years have taken the image of the cross and they've replaced it with a different image. And this image says to the people around the world that don't know that the Father wants to adopt them into his family, you are not welcome. Get away from me. Stay away. I don't like you. I don't agree with you. It's a picture that communicates something very different than what Jesus wants to be communicated. And so when Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, the question we have to ask ourselves is, where do we start? Sure, it includes starting new churches, right? And you all help to do that when you give financially to generations so that they can support different organizations and different groups and new churches as they get started. But where do you start specifically, independently? Where do you start? Because it's a huge task to make disciples of all nations, is it not? It's a huge task. It's a simple idea, but it's a huge task. Well, it starts with each one of us individually. And here's another question for you this morning. It's a question you have to answer as a follower of Jesus if you're ever going to make disciples. Is there a welcome mat at the entrance of your heart? Is there a welcome mat at the entrance of your heart? You see, you can't make disciples if you don't love people. 
And I'm afraid that's probably why we haven't been. You can't make disciples if you don't love people. And unfortunately, right now, the loudest people claiming to represent Jesus in our world don't sound like they love much of anybody. And that pains my heart every day. Is there a welcome mat at the entrance of your heart? It all comes down to how you treat people that Jesus died for. And here's how you know if you're really following after Jesus. When you meet people and are around people who may not look like you and may not think like you, how do you treat them? How do you treat them? Do you want to serve them? Or do you want to compete with them and argue with them? Do you want to build them up? Or do you want to tear them down? Do you want to give them something? Or do you want to get something from them? Do you want to help them? Or do you want to mock them? See, when Jesus takes up residence in your life, he expands your capacity to love. Even people you consider to be your enemies, Jesus said that too. He adds square footage to your heart by renovating and ripping out all the lies and condemnation you ever believed about yourself, right? But he also pulls out all of the lies and condemnation you ever believed about anybody else. Amen. And Jesus replaces those lies and condemnation with something called grace and truth. Amen. Grace and truth. And the closer you become to Jesus, the more grace and truth just oozes out of every part of you. Now, what you need to understand is grace and truth always come in that order when it comes to Jesus. Truth is important. Yes, I know it is. But only after grace. Grace and truth. Jesus looked for ways to build people up. He served them and he loved them. And Romans tells us it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And that is how we need to be as, as his followers. And the reason people wanted to be around Jesus was because he was a safe person. And true followers of Jesus are safe people. Because we know what it means to need grace to be able to better understand truth. And so who are you investing your life in? Do people in your life outside of the church feel safe around you? There needs to be a welcome mat at the entrance of your heart. Here's my next question. Is there a welcome mat at the entrance of your home? Let me share with you what I mean by that. Most people that we know in our culture today, people that would describe themselves as being wounded or angry or maybe confused, are often that way because someone in their family hurt them or betrayed them or confused them. I know that's true for me, true for anybody else. And so the healing that God wants to do in, in people's lives needs to happen in the context of another family. Psalm chapter 68 says, God sets the lonely in families. I didn't grow up going to church. I didn't go to church at all as a kid. My father was a non-practicing Catholic in his background. We didn't talk about that much. My mother was a non-practicing uh, Northern Baptist, and we didn't talk about that either. My father was also an alcoholic. 
and we certainly didn't talk about that. And so when I was growing up, my house was pretty chaotic. There was a lot of turmoil in my home. It was not a fun place to live, and it was scary at times. I remember spending a lot of time outside my house. That's what you do when things are crazy at home. And so I would go to a friend's house and hang out, and I'd go to my friend's house. We'd eat dinner. We'd hang out. I'd spend the night sometimes at his place. When I'd go over there, it was a different kind of an environment. My, my friend, he, he would invite me over to dinner. We'd sit down as a family with his family, and they'd pray before we ate. And I was like, what are they doing? All right, this is kind of cool. And the other thing that happened is his dad and his mom asked me questions about myself. They told me things about myself that they saw in me and told me that they appreciated those things. I felt so different when I was at their house. I didn't know why. I was a teenager. I didn't know what this was about. My friend did invite me to go to church. After I spent a lot of time with his family, I went to church. And what I discovered was that this family was very similar to this larger group who invited me in and made me feel very welcome. And I had not felt that way before in my life. I had no connection with the church. I was unaffiliated. But I didn't know why. Until that moment when I said, I think there's something to this Jesus thing. I want to pursue this. I want to know more about this. And here I am, some 30-something years later, have a pastor and a leader of an organization that starts new churches because I'm still passionate about the idea of connecting with people who have no idea who God is. And you know that family, that mom and dad who've since passed away, they had no idea that they were going to have an impact on me. Maybe they did a little bit, but they certainly didn't know that they were going to have an impact on my dad and my mom because years later, after I became a pastor, I baptized my dad and my mom. Yeah, thank you. And that is the ripple effect of having a welcome mat at the entrance of your heart and your home. What if every person that lives in your neighborhood, wherever you live, what if all of them were invited for dinner at someone's house who associated with God's family? What if they all just came in and had a meal with a safe person, experienced your love for them, and in, in turn experienced the love the Father has for them? And so who is it right now that comes to your mind that you could invest your life in? I'm not done with the stats. I'm sorry about that, but I'm going to put up another graphic here. <laughs> This graphic represents human population growth through the course of human history. There's a giant curve there. It's hovering just a you know, few hundred million people for a long time, and then there's just this giant boom right after the 1800s, 1800s, right? This starts to go up. That's the advent of modern medicine. That's why, okay? But population growth boomed. At the time of Jesus, when he walked on this earth, there were about 150 to 190 million people. I just said there were 345 million people in the U.S. In the entire world, there were 150 to 190 million people. And with that many people in the world, Jesus said in Matthew 9, 37, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. If plentiful and few were the words Jesus used in his day, what word would he use today when there's 8.1 billion people in the world? With such a massively growing population, 
what the world needs more than anything, certainly more than information. We are drunk on information, right? What the world needs more than anything is to experience the real tangible love of Jesus. And for that to happen, that has to be experienced through God's family, his people, you and me. You don't read about that on the internet. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now listen to me. I've started a few churches over the years. I've led some churches. The worst thing that can ever happen to any new church is the slow mission drift into believing that everything that you do around here is only about you. Right? The entire reason this church exists, the entire reason each of the new churches we're starting is, is, is going to exist, the whole reason the capital C church exists is for people who are not yet members. Understand that. That is our mission. That is our mission. Don't allow the gravitational pull that every church has to fight to allow you to become inwardly focused. Don't allow that to happen. Don't forget your job description to go. It's send over stay. Don't forget that. But here's the truth. There are more people willing to hear the message of Jesus than there are people willing to share the message of Jesus. That's what Jesus said. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And it all begins when one of you in Salmon Creek chooses to love a neighbor and make them a meal because they had a baby or because they lost a loved one. It's when one of you in Barberton helps to buy a single mom groceries. It's someone in Vancouver offering to mow the lawn of an elderly person. It's someone in Mount Vista offering to pray with a friend with their permission who has cancer. It's offering to open up your home and have people over or have a community party. Each of those tangible real-life acts of love are the building blocks of what it means to make disciples. In fact, when Jesus used this word go and make disciples, the word go actually translates as you are going. As you are going to soccer, as you are going to yoga, as you are going to the store, as you're going to work, as you're going to a party, make disciples. It isn't as complicated as we make it. And the impact you're going to make in somebody's life is going to have a ripple effect for generations. Generations. Right? So keep going. Keep sending. Keep putting out the welcome mat and keep making disciples, okay? Let me pray for you all this morning. Father God, I am so thankful for this church and I'm thankful each individual that's here in this church and the role that they play in your kingdom as a part of the family of God. And I pray, Lord, that you will continually remind us what our mission is, the values that this church holds, that we will not lose sight of it like a bus company in London. Lord, I pray that you will constantly remind us the importance of, of making people feel welcome, even people we may not agree with, because we have no idea the work you want to do in their life and how you're going to use that person in the future to lead others to Christ, to start churches, to lead mission organizations, to do all sorts of things. God, you need us to be involved. Lord, thank you for including us in your mission and that we get to be a part of it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray together this morning. Amen. Thank you, Tony. Yeah.
we want to wrap up how we do every week uh, with, with a prayer. And so maybe this morning your heart was stirred to think about a person, 